there, listeners and lurkers. I'm Amy Johnston. And I'm Alan Johnston. And we're so happy that you're joining us for The Last Isle. This week, we'll be covering the 1989 movie Puppet Master, directed by David Schmuller, who also directed a little ditty called Tourist Trap, and written by plural writers, Charles Band for the story, Kenneth J. Hall, David Schmuller, and J.S. Cardone. Special effects were by David Allen. He did the puppets. Mm-hmm. And special makeup effects were by Patrick Simmons. That's a, a lot of writers for a horror movie. It's That's a, lot like, of, it's a lot of writers for this movie. Yeah. I have no idea. I had no idea what to expect here. I'm predicting a horror camel. You know, what do you call a horse designed by committee? <laughs> a camel. Yeah. We've had two super intense weeks in our last few episodes like I really wanted to cover something oh a little bit that takes itself just a little less seriously yeah for real a straight to video horror featuring a punchy thumbhead puppet definitely provides that (laughs) yep there is a lot to get into here so now if you'll indulge me a dramatic greeting hey actually wait apropos of nothing I turned 40 this year Yay! And sister. we start and we started a horror podcast. Yeah, and what they don't tell a forty-year-old introvert <laughs> is that if you are editing horror movie podcasts alone with headphones on, you will convince yourself that you're about to be slashered. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Just somebody's in the house. <laughs> I'm an old scared woman. <laughs> And now for a reading of the back of the box. Alex Whitaker and three other gifted psychics are investigating rumors that the secret of life has been discovered by a master puppeteer, Andre Toulon. But the psychics quickly discover Toulon's secret to death in the form of live killer puppets, each one uniquely qualified for murder and mayhem. Together, they are an army of skilled assassins diabolically programmed to guard the deadly secrets of the Puppet Master. So, I have never seen this movie. I had not either. We picked this one because, you know, we kind of, when we started the podcast and we called it The Last Dial, we had talked about, like, let's cover a bunch of movies that we remember the covers of, you know, from when we were kids, but, like, that we never saw. Yeah. I remember the cover for this. I never saw it. So I was like, great, let's do it. Like you said, we need a palate cleanser after the last two episodes that were super heavy. Um, So we went in blind. I I knew what the main little puppet guy looked like, the blade puppet. Yeah. I knew nothing else. So this was, this was a fun one. Yeah. This was a fun one. And I do vividly remember this cover, too. Oh, God, me too. Like, this was definitely a Hollywood video. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. And I just, like, kind of, I saw the back of the box and was like, I know what, I remember what Hollywood video smells like. Is yeah. that a thing that happens I, to you? Yeah, you get sense memories of like, yeah. oh, man, like. Like, oh. I know I'm near carpet the carpet cleaner and stale popcorn. I, right, I know I'm near the front near the checkout cuz I like smell all the all the things of like Jiffy Pop and Twizzlers or whatever. Mm-hmm. The cool thing about this movie too is that when they made it, it was originally going to be theatrically released. Yeah. But the uh uh band Charles Band producer s- yeah mm-hmm. said 
you know what? We're not going to put this on in theaters. We're mm-hmm. actually going to do a straight to to move to home movie release. Yeah. Because this was kind of the heyday of home video rental. It was. I mean, because this was what eighty nine. 89, 89, yeah. 89. Um, that, I mean, I was nine, you were seven. Yep. So, like, we I, saw it, we wanted to see it. I'm we sure we, it. I'm sure we wanted, well, yeah, I mean, we I'm saw, sure we asked. <laughs> well, I might not have. I wasn't big into horror as a kid. I did see no. some, but, um, you know, it had this. I can't say that this would not have turned into the cult classic that it is had it been released in theaters. Yeah. I don't think it would have done well. Um, but it may have been a smart choice to just put this straight to video and be like, you know what? You want to yeah. see it? Go rent it. Because um, it's a trip. It's it, an absolute trip. Oh, my God. It's so it's so much as a trip. And there is so much to talk about. Yeah. I watched this for the first time knowing absolutely nothing from the plot. Same. I didn't even read the back of the box until I read. I like wrote the script from nice. from having seen the movie because I I wanted to know nothing going in. I just knew that there were puppets, but I didn't know any. I'd never seen a trailer, nothing. Yeah, there. So this franchise spawned thirteen sequels. Oh my god, is it thirteen? There's thirteen movies related to. Oh, I was gonna Puppet say Master. ten. I was like, so ten seems like, right. I think it's ten sequels. There's like three spinoffs. Plus, they're they're not done. No, I wasn't. That's not even including the spinoffs. That's including like the the reboots and the revamps oh, and the yeah. So I think there's like thirteen puppet master movies plus some, then some. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I and we can talk about this after we're all done. But I don't know how vested invested I'm going to be in watching any of the following. Movies. I might. I think I'll I'll venture into this cult a little bit further. It also. It also inspired an entire comic book spinoff. There's like an oh entire Lord. comic series related to subplots and and stuff like that. There is a there's a Nazi element that we won't e- will not even get into. In no, this. no, I um, I heard. But there is that. a there is a like distinct Nazi element. Yeah, the, I heard about that. So I mean, I want to know more. I am curious about more. But anyway. We should probably uh, get this rolling because there's a lot to go through. There is really a lot to go through. So without further ado, let's get this crazy stop motion fever dream going. Yeah. Here at The Last Isle, we want to remain mindful of sensitive topics. So we are offering a content warning for the following episode. The following movie analysis will include discussions of scenes depicting sexual assault and rape. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Enjoy the rest of our podcast, and thank you, listeners and lurkers. Caution. Spoilers ahead. The opening credits roll over calliope music and various wavy, dreamy camera shots of a wooden marionette face and enter my nightmare scape. <laughs> the music is not particularly spooky, but it harkens back to early episodes of Are You Afraid of the Dark, which I know is like a little bit past you didn't watch that show i knew i i caught a few pieces of episodes here and there but like i wasn't like oh my god i've seen every episode of are you afraid Afraid of the dark Dark. same with like goosebumps and and you know christopher pike novels and things like that like i was you remember at least that you remember at least walking through the room to being on because i used to watch oh yeah completely and there's like this sort of it's not solution shorts, but it's it's sort of like nineties Nickelodeon. Yeah. Spooky music. Yes, totally. Is really what this reminds me of. Mm-hmm. Um 
so I'm already based on that. I'm already expecting cheesiness at this point, but like in the best way, mm-hmm. just from the just just from the terrible fun music, nineties music. Puppet Master is set in the scenic seaside California town of Bodega Bay, which you may recognize from another little movie known as The, the Birds. Birds. Every time I hear Bodega Bay, I was like, The Birds. To the point where I didn't even know Bodega Bay was a real place. I was like, oh, that's just the place that they made up for the birds. Yeah, I know. I now I want to like go. I, I have no interest to go to California, but I kind of just for the haunted shit, the weird shit, the freaky shit. The scene switches to a beautiful mansion-like building on a hill as ocean waves crash against the hillside below. The title card reads Bodega Bay Inn, nineteen thirty-nine. The wave sounds continue as we see a marionette of an acrobat with a Fu Manchu looking out of an apartment window. Classical music plays on a record player. An old man works on a puppet played by the incomparable William Hickey. Mm-hmm. I don't know him from much, but he is such a distinctive fixture in my childhood. Like, yeah, because he was what? Christmas Vacation? He was, yeah, Uncle... Uncle something. something. And he has a really distinctive voice. It sounds like this. Like, he has a very uh, yeah, <laughs> like distinctive voice. Yes. The old man paints the finishing touches on a ruby-lipped puppet with an oddly segmented face. He's not cute. I think he he's cool, though. But I want him in our house. Right. He's cre- like just creepy enough that I'm like, yeah, let's put him in the living room. Yeah, so I'm going to figure, figure out a way to make that happen. All right, and cool. then... If he's just like on your pillow when you wake up in the morning, we'll then, move. We'll move. <laughs> or I'll just know that you're a bitch who put it on my no. pillow to scare me. <laughs> just leave the puppet in the house and just move. Puppet can have the house and we'll move. <laughs> we next see the first person view of what sounds like a hyperventilating miniature centaur, maybe. <laughs> There's like clomping coconuts with like a healthy dose of panicked man sounds <laughs> yeah he runs outside the grounds near a hotel and makes his way quickly as he can through the halls the old man andre toulon waves his aging hand delicately over the face of the ruby lip doll and he says the words life upon my life <laughs> <laughs> and the doll's segmented face begins to spin and encounter directions that's fucking freaky it's i'm sorry it's cool looking though. it's very cool and i want it immediately but it's freaky it's yeah. it's freaky tulan says the doll is so beautiful before we can, before we switch back to the point of view of the panicking puppet again and a shot of two severe looking men dressed in black hats and black coats at exit a black car Talon looks at the puppets who seem to show concern. Oh, yeah, because the puppets are totally alive now. Oh, yeah. They can, yeah. They're sentient puppets. They can just totally move. Like, the acrobat at the window is, like, doing the splits and is just, like, turning his head back and forth. I'm like, what the? Okay. Oh, oh, okay. The puppets are moving. The puppet with the twisty face, whose name is Jester, according to the Puppet Master Wiki, which like saved my fucking bacon. Oh, (laughs) yeah. This episode. Yeah. I had to go back to the wiki because. There are so many gaps in this movie mm-hmm. that I'm like that get full. I'm guessing get filled in in sequels and stuff like that. Yes, yeah. And I had to just go like a little bit digging just to be like, do I need to comprehend what's happening? Right. I need to know what to call things so that people who've seen the movie know what I'm talking about. Right. Yeah. Because it is, if it's a franchise that big, which it 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 what it did become a giant Huge. franchise. Um, I feel like I kind of owe it. You kind of owe it the res- the respect to venture into the fandom a little bit and just go, okay, what are your 
what are your rules for for this movie? You gave that way more thought than I did because I just watched <laughs> the movie and went cool, and I watched a making of featurette and went cool and read IMDb trivia and said. I'm done. So, Hi, I'm Amy. Have you met me? I go too deep. Did I not say this already? My name's Rabbit Hole. <laughs> My name is Rabbit. Yes. He says, I'll hide you. Well, he says, I'll hide you. And I, at that point, realized he was supposed to be French because I didn't know his name yet. Oh, right. And I was like, Hickey, are you doing an accent? Yeah, <laughs> kind of. He is doing a French accent in this movie, and it's. It's an accent. Chef kiss. (laughs) It is awesome. I love the accent so much. Back in the lobby of the hotel, the two men continue on their mission. And the point of view puppet runs into a door and we hear Tweety Birds. Like that literally happened. As soon as I heard the bird sounds when he hit his head and fell over, I'm like, okay, this is what we're doing now. This is, I get it. I I get what this movie is. I see you. That's all I needed to know. Also, I'm so sorry. I don't think we've seen the puppet yet at this point. Nope. But we like, don't know what the puppet looks like. How do all these people in the lobby not notice this fucking not thing around the their feet? Unless it's the size of a cockroach, which maybe it is. I don't think so. Well, but we like, don't know yet. I'm just saying. I'm like, I don't understand. I mean, anyway. Yeah. At this point, I still don't know what. Right. I, at this point, I'm convinced it's a centaur mounted on top of a skateboard because I have no idea what the puppet looks like. It's like that baby head from Toy Story with the like. Yes. Erector set spi- spider legs. It's a panting spider baby with co- with coconuts for feet. So I don't know yet. So Toulon opens a wall panel inside his hotel room. And out in the hall, we finally get the first glimpse of the puppet. Mm -hmm. Finally. Like, he comes around a little bush, and he's like, here I am. And I went, whoa, like, that was not on your Tinder profile, (laughs) sir. (laughs) That hello. Like, I know. (laughs) And he's, like, wearing a hat and a coat that looks very much like what the strange men are wearing. I kind of noted. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. He appears to have very recessed eyes or no eyes at all. And he carries a tiny blade like the size of a fork tine in one hand. And in the other is a proportionally sized hook. He's bitty. Yeah, he's, he's a like, little bitty dude. Like he's cute and a scary skeletal. I mean, all, to, me all, to me, all of the puppets are like cute. cute, creepy, ugly, cute. You yeah. know, all of them. Anyway, all of them. Yeah. He watches desperately from behind potted plants, runs behind feet, across a piano even. And it even does that. Like I'm the- like, okay, <laughs> you could have gone under the bench. But to show that you are have a, you have a physical presence, why don't you just hop up on the piano and run down the keys so we can play the keys? Like it- run into a door and go. Okay. It was. Yes. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's car. It's a cartoon. It is a. It cartoon. really is. This is very much a cartoon. Yeah. And so after he does the piano thing, he slides into the elevator, and and it's like this antique looking elevator. It's really cool. Oh yeah, with like the the rack or like the um, gate door, and I have I have thoughts. I'll add them soon. Okay. Toulon casually packs away all of his puppets in a trunk. He handles each creation with great care. And this will come back again and again. This movie jumps back and forth from ridiculous to serious so much. It will give you whiplash. Because yeah. it's ten this is this moment is tender and it's not goofy at all. And I'm like, okay, like there's this old man 
played by Hickey, and Hickey's not, he's not over the top. No, he's, he's very subtle and like kind yeah. of sweet almost. Yes. And that is what is so confusing about this movie, which we'll absolutely get into. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he's like, he just kind of packs the puppets away and gingerly puts them in a box. And, you know, this movie also accounts for some of the best laughs I've had watching a horror movie in a while. Completely. I, I full belly laughed. Oh, my God. It. Yeah. Yes. It's good. It was pure. <laughs> it yes. Was a very pure yes. feeling. The tiny puppet, the tiny scared puppet called Blade, the one with the hat and the mm-hmm. hook, runs into an older woman and they both scream comically and he runs on so like right after that it was goofy again i was beginning to wonder if he was invisible though because like i said i'm like how has nobody so seen this he puppet? Is seen we confirmed that this yeah because she canon. freaks the hell out and falls over and so i'm like okay good like, and it also establishes something kind of important here because he's afraid and he runs away and i was expecting an early kill I was oh, like, yeah. they're going to bring you in with this comedy early and then it's going to be a slasher like, bam, immediately. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And it didn't give you that. Yeah. And so I was like, huh. Okay. Yeah. Oh, all right. Yeah. So Blade doesn't seem violent. He just seems scared. And that, I think that kind of freaked me out more somehow. I don't know. I'm like, dude, you're the non-killing puppet. I know this is a movie about killer puppets. Right. That much I know. And you're the non-killing puppet. I was like, Blade. it but uh, is he <laughs> right it was very suspect the men in black played by peter franklin and andrew kimbra kimbro um and credited only as assassins one and two wait for the elevator and say something to each other in german which i gave myself five minutes to try to figure out what the hell they said because you <laughs> I know me i was like what are they saying somebody must have translated this somewhere I gave myself five minutes couldn't get to it and i was like i'm not gonna all right fine <laughs> But yes, the nerd in me was like, I must know. I think Wasn't they were just asking, hey man, did you catch that episode of Matlock last night? I know. Was I think that was it. No, it seemed like something, Destiny something. My And my German isn't good enough to even like type exchange into Google Translate. <laughs> so I was like, they're just dudes. Assassins 1 and Assassins 2. Yeah. That's it. That's all you know. They finally make it into the elevator. And is it just me or does this elevator give you like a healthy... Frankenfurter nostalgia. Oh, like from Rocky Horror. Oh, yeah. This elevator is like woefully lacking in Tim Curry stomping in platform heels. Oh, like I sleep when it because as it goes up, I was like, <gasps> so Blade finally makes it to Toulon's room. He raps on the door frantically with his hook and he tries to catch his breath and looks worried down the hall behind him. Talon opens the door and reassures the poor little puppet not to worry that he saw them coming and he won't let anything happen to Blade or the other puppets because he's going to hide them. He places Blade in the trunk along with the other puppets and he laments that it's a shame that they didn't have more time and like Blade goes... (laughs) He makes like a whine sound. Yeah, like a tiny little... I'm like, oh, these guys... They're friendlies? I don't don't know. So... As the assassins make make it down the hall to Talon's room, he quickly hides the trunk inside the wall where he took the panel away, and he replaces the panel back. He sits calmly in his chair and holds a pistol, and it looks like he's about to aim out the door. Yeah, like, like he's, he's waiting for them to come in so like, he can yeah, kill come him. Come and get me. The Nazis call out for Air Toulon, only to hear a gunshot from inside the hotel room. And when they bust the door open, they find Toulon dead in his chair, blood splattered artfully behind his head. Yeah, he See, shot himself in the head. Yeah. We next see a title card that says Yale University present day. If it's present day, it's 33 years ago. Yeah. 
and Oof. and I wish I hadn't done that math. <laughs> a mullet sits at his desk inside an office. He appears to be dreaming. There are flashes of a hall type room decorated with flowing drapes. It's very ethereal 80s music video. And a man a man's voice can be heard saying, You can't save her, Alex, with like evil laughter. A man holds a pistol to the head of a worried woman. The mullet's name is Alex Whitaker, played by <laughs> Paul Lamott. Alex's shirt begins to bleed, and he wakes up and rips it open to reveal large writhing leeches all over his torso, mm-hmm. like big fatties. Alex yells and wakes up from for real this time. And I love the old like double wake up, like in a, in a totally unironic way. The <gasps> like I uh, oh, I always it was love a that. dream. But it was another dream. Yeah, I yeah. love like the whole. I love Inception. Well, then you're gonna love this movie because yeah. this is not this. This is not the last time it happens. <gasps> yeah, um, <laughs> he checks his chest, relieved. The next scene takes place at night inside a carnival, and I don't know where. I I don't know no that idea. it matters. Let's guess the South, because the accent we're about to hear is quite South. It is not. One thing I will tell you that it's not. It's not Louisiana. Even if this movie wants to portray this woman as from Louisiana, she is not from Louisiana. No. We do not no. We do not claim her. No. Our mom is from New Orleans and she will not claim this woman. We have watched so many movies where they're like, Oh, we're in New Orleans, so we're gonna put on the southern accent. If you have ever been to New Orleans, that is not the freaking accent. It's not like this drawl. It ugh. They never do specify in the movie where she's supposed to be from, so I'll give it the benefit of the doubt. But because she's got like this sort of like voodoo fortune teller thing, you can assume that maybe they're trying to make it, you know, that region. She's we well, we are going way too far with this, but it's I important. Yeah, that she, she, it's important for us to tell you that what she has is not a New Orleans accent. She yes, because she is offensive to every culture. Now we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah. Every single culture. So here we go. So this offensive woman we speak of is played by Irene Miracle. I love her. That's a cool name. Yeah. I, I, it might be a stage name, but it's a cool name. It's great. Um, and she is she is a psychic. So she looks into a crystal ball and she talks to a young couple played by Barbara Crampton and David Yay, Boyd. Barbara Crampton. I love when she pops up in horror movies. If she's been a lot else, I didn't like look into her. Oh IMDb. my gosh, she is in Reanimator. She is in oh. Your Next. She was in. There was an indie one that you and I watched about uh, two boys whose dad owned a video store, and she was in the. Vi- she is kind of. A scream queen. Yes. I love her. She's wonderful. I love when she pops up. She's in a very small role in this movie, but I was very happy to see her. Well, good, good, good. I um, will probably cut out my (laughs) ignorance to (laughs) know. You don't have to know everyone and everything. Yes, I do. (laughs) So she tells the girl she's going to be very happily married and have two children, a boy and a girl. And when she asks if Buddy here is ever going to get a real job, the psychic, who is Dana, as she'll come to be known, Mm -hmm. says that she sees a retail sales for Buddy, but quickly recalibrates when the girl laughs and says, Buddy didn't graduate the 10th grade. And she's like, I don't see him in retail sales. I, You don't need to graduate. I didn't know that like retail sales was such an illustrious position. Like, I worked retail sales in high school. It's a cash register. So, I... But... I I 
Maybe, maybe in the maybe 80s, his woman thinks he's real fucking dumb. Like I don't know. Maybe don't she's like, know. oh man, this guy doesn't know number. Like I don't know. But she's like, oh no, 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 no retail sales for him. Do you think he was gonna have to hand figure sales tax? <laughs> right. What are you from the 1950s? Are you worried he doesn't know how to like hold a shovel? Like, are you thinking ditch digger for him? Like, tell us what you're what you're hoping for. My dumbass boyfriend here. Oh, and he doesn't say anything. He's just like. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> but she's hot, so. No, actually, he's going to be a foreman for a construction company, is what she says. And she's like, oh, no, I mean, uh, never mind. I mean, he's going to be in a construction company and build a big store. That's it. That's why I saw retail sales, because it's going to be a shopping mall. Yeah, she tells the young couple, buddy, they're going to be, uh, that he's going to be a very rich man. And the girl seems unaffected by the charlatans bumbling and says oh maybe i will marry him like i don't want to marry this bitch (laughs) she's louise but she's pretty but she's pretty she's blonde the girl asks if she sees anything else and dana says that she's sorry the girl's grandmother is going to die but again has to readjust when the girl tells her like her grandmother's already dead and she goes oh actually it's buddy's grandma this (laughs) chick needs to take lessons from long island media like you make it vague enough that somebody will just like you say someone you go 90 make them come 10 to be like you must be talking about doreen or whatever with an m name or a j name right but she's like, That's it's, maybe your, male it's for sure older. your grandmother, except it's not. It's totally now it's his grandmother. <laughs> I was a mistake. Whatever. She is. She has got to learn a little bit about cold reading. She doesn't she, yeah. you know nothing. Yeah. Hack. So Dana gets one of those telltale psychic migraines out of nowhere. She's like, grab your head and you're like, oh, I'm seeing something. But <sighs> something's re- happening in my brain. But for real, actually, this time. <laughs> She starts grunting and choking, and I think I heard the words Gallagher kill me somewhere in there. Definitely Gallagher. I heard the name. I don't know what else I heard. She said Gallagher Niner in there. (laughs) And she sees the vision of a woman rapidly butt scooting down the hallway in black and white, somewhere trying to escape from a rapidly approaching camera mounted on a remote control car, maybe? I don't know. She sees the uh, flick of a knife and screams no. The vision seems to go away and she's left panting and holding her throat. So something happened in the vision. Okay. (laughs) It's obscure. It's not made. It's not clear in these shots who we're seeing yet. We next jump to New York City inside Pensa Research Inc. Okay. I'm sorry. So we know we're in New York. Because we see the Statue of Liberty, we see the New York skyline, we see yellow cabs, it goes on for way too long. All this is imperative to let us know that this next part takes place in New York, which is completely not pertinent to the plot and will not come back again. No. But like, I can only assume this was to pad the runtime because this is a short movie. Yeah. So they're probably like, Fuck, like, mm, we need some time. I know. Let's do a bunch of unnecessary establishing shots that we're in New York City for a part of the movie that takes maybe five minutes. Okay, go. Like, I was just like... Can we make a three-minute music video out of it it with some sort of montage of just New York shots? It was so random. I was like... Can we see a New York cab driver getting a hot dog from a hot dog cart? right. It's New York. Show 30 Rockefeller Center. Like, just show it all. Oh, my God. Anyway, it made me laugh. Yes. So, 
two lab coats named Frank Forrester, played by Matt Rowe, and Carissa Stanford, played by Catherine O'Reilly, sit inside a psychic research facility. Frank sets up an experiment between a passive and active subject. He asks Carissa if she's ready and then asks the subject to think of her wildest sexual fantasy and to be as detailed as she can be. He waits a few moments and then asks Carissa if she's getting anything from the subject. He's like, are you seeing a man riding a horse? Yeah. And when she says no, he doesn't understand why he's the only one getting the images. And then he teases her and he's like, uh, he's getting quite a bit of detail from the subject. And he goes, this little girl has quite the vivid imagination. This guy is such a (laughs) fucking creeper. He's such a Uh -uh. creeper. Nope. Nope. And like... What okay? What cool, goes cool, 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 cool. What goes through your head to volunteer to be a test subject in this scenario? Like know. it was the eighties. People did a lot of coke back then. <laughs> I guess so, but like it strikes me as the kind of thing where like you get a card from a guy that like comes up to you on the subway and he's like, yeah, it's office suite such and such in this building. But you find out later when you go back that like they only rented it for one day and it was like a total scam. Yeah. Just to get young women to tell you about their sexual fantasy. It's really like, I need a shower. It's It's just, it feels skeevy. So also sexual psychic sounds like the worst superpower to me. Oh my God. Like, I don't really want. We'll get into it in a little bit because I I have thoughts. I don't really want leech dreams either. No, but sexual psychic sounds not fun. I mean, maybe I'm just too old now, but like, I'm just, oh, no, thank you. Speaking of leech dreams, um, just then Alex Whitaker calls and Frank says that he and Carissa have been expecting him. Alex alludes that they must have made contact and I fucking alien. I don't know. And Frank says that they received contact last night while <clears throat> experimenting. Oof. Ew. We'll get into that in ew. If Alex asks what it means. And Frank says it just means that Gallagher must have found the old puppet master's hiding place. And he's calling for some kind of meeting. Frank says he also received contact from the white witch, Dana, who is the only one who knows the location an old hotel in the California coast known as the Bodega Bay Inn. Frank says he'll need Alex to come and that they'll need all of their collective powers. Real quick, do they, is this where they show the outside of the hotel really quickly before yes. they kind of move to the interior? Yes. So the hotel was a miniature. Oh. I Basically, I mean, I say miniature, it was about the size of a refrigerator. But they used, they when they found the exact spot in, you know, where they wanted to show the hotel as being located. Yeah. With forced perspective and exact, you know, specific placement of the miniature, they were able to make it look like it was on top of that cliffside. But that is not a real building. Like, that is a miniature that they built and sculpted um, and, like, shot forced perspective. So, so that they- hotel is not real. That is not a real hotel that you can. No, my dear. I'm so sorry. I just gave my sister a big sad. I'm so sorry. This is why I want to do research ahead of time. <laughs> you my balloon on the podcast. I'm sorry. I'll buy you an ice cream. I'm lactose intolerant. Oh, fuck. Yeah. yeah we were and the next scene, it. Teresa, the innkeeper, played by Muse Small, who, oh, she's so cute. And she's amazing. Did you read up on her at all? No. So in the very first production of Grease on Broadway, she played Frenchie. Of course she played Frenchie. So she's got some Broadway cred. 
She has her own band. She did some acting, quite a bit of acting. I love her little voice. Like, her speaking voice is just adorable. Okay, well, that's the rabbit hole I'll be going down. Yes, Muse Small is such, she's worth a Google. She's super cool. A cool chick. I saw pictures of her now. She looks like a white haired hippie. She's so cute. She like New York art scene? Like California. I think she's California. I think she's California. I won't have to look at her. Honest to God, I don't remember. I just know that she's precious and I I loved her in this movie. So we see Teresa and then we also see Megan Gallagher, played by Robin Freights, walk down the large staircase to greet the psychics. Teresa complains that she doesn't know who they think they are, just barging in out of the blue already. I love her. Yeah, she's great. What are you doing in my giant hotel? And and you didn't I didn't invite you and please get out of my space. Call ahead. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Megan warns Teresa not to be rude. And these are probably just the guests that Neil said would come. Megan introduces herself to the group, and when Alex offers he hopes her presence didn't isn't unexpected. Megan says that Neil said that they'd be coming. When Dana asks where old Neil might be, Megan says that she thought they all knew. In the next scene, we see Neil Gallagher's body. Uh, the corpse is played by Jimmy F. Skaggs. <laughs> Neil lies waxy and tan in the coffin in what appears to be the hotel's front parlor. Megan informs the group that Neil shot himself. She says he left a note, but all it said is that he didn't want to be buried until they had all arrived. And she's like, so now that you have, we'll bury him. So so I've got a question for you. Yeah. You're at a hotel. Your husband dies. All yeah. he tells you before he dies is that don't bury me until some people show up. But he doesn't tell you when those people are going to show up. <laughs> like, do you lay your dead husband out in an open casket in a hotel parlor for like an undetermined, undisclosed amount of time? Like, it could be weeks. It Like, I mean, last wishes and all, I get it. But like, he's well, going to start to stay. He's dead. I know. He is dead. Yeah, he wouldn't be. But he wasn't like they're gonna be here next Tuesday around seven. Like (laughs) when the people show up, I would be like, he left a note that you'd be coming. Um, He said he didn't want to be buried, but like the flies were gathering and I had to do something. Farts. (laughs) And I couldn't stand the stench anymore. I'll dig him up if you need me to, but like, no, 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 you can dig him up. I'll show you where the (laughs) shovels are. I'm not. Here's a backhoe. He smelled bad. She's so she suggests that they'll bury him tomorrow, and she says if you can stay. Megan says that they will be shown to their rooms. She'll serve dinner, and then turns with Teresa to leave the room. Frank asks if they can stay a while and pay their respects, and Megan agrees before retiring. Teresa keeps a suspicious eye on the group and says, "Don't touch the body." Before exiting swiftly, once Teresa and Megan have left the group, all turn their focus back to Neil and stand around the open casket. Dana asks what the hell is going on and how they weren't able to pick up that he was dead. <laughs> I oh had to God. say it. She's da- like dead. She says dead with three syllables like Blanche Devereaux. I was just about to say it's like a Blanche Devereaux delivery here. One and they tell me he was dead. Frank says that he doesn't know, but he says Gallagher was probably blocking some signals uh, to the images. He sent them somehow. Dana pulls out a long hairpin or acupuncture needle or something, and Carissa asks what she's doing in an alarm tone. 
Dana holds the needle gingerly while explaining that she just wants to make sure he is all he appears to be and plunges the hairpin looking thing right into Neil's chest with a squelch. She can, she can, right through the breastplate. She confirms that Neil is in fact dead as a doornail. And that would totally work. If you held it right there, totally that hair, that hairpin would go right through and wouldn't even bend or nothing. Bend or nothing. Nope. Next, we see Megan rides an elevator with Alex up to his room. He makes small talk, asking how Alex knew Neil. Alex says that they would, uh, they worked on a project together, and then mentions that he's a professor of anthropology at Yale. It doesn't seem necessary to say that. <laughs> But many things in this movie don't seem I guess necessary. If you, I guess if you are a professor of anthropology at Yale, you, you tell people. You tell everyone. Yeah, that's true. Um, that explains all the random artifacts decorating his office earlier, because I kind of thought that he was taking a nap in a world market or an earthbound <laughs> trading company. <laughs> like... He's just snoozing. Around. Well, I think in reality, like in real life in the world, that's absolutely what was happening. But in the context of the movie, they're like, no, yep. it's no, an anthropology he's office. He's completely at Yale right now <laughs> in this movie. Meanwhile, we had, the bu- like, we had the budget to shoot at Yale. <laughs> Excuse me. I just need this African mask and the statue of Buddha. Place it behind my head. We've got three minutes camera time. Let's go. <laughs> Alex stares at Megan in a manner that makes me want to remind him, hey, mullet dad, don't stare at a woman in a confined space that way. The hair is so good. And by so good, I mean so not good. Like, it's got... it is beautifully sculptured. Okay, look, this is something I must say. The mullet is a very technical haircut. Really? The mullet is an extremely technical haircut. Any hairdresser will tell you that you don't just go in and think you're going to mullet. Like, it's a, it's a hard haircut to get. It's very fashionable right now. People are very much into their mullets again. In That's case you wonder why Amy knows so much about this, is because she used to be a stylist. So she does know a thing or I two. I was not used to be a stylist. I did haircutting for a year and I quit because it's hard. <laughs> <laughs> That's what, <laughs> that's why I feel like I can talk about the structure of a mullet. Anyway, um, yeah, the mullet, blah, blah, blah. It's a structured haircut. It's a hard haircut to create. So I do have, uh, I do have an appreciation for the mullet. However, this mullet is a, it's shaped like a, it looks like a loaf of bread somehow, <laughs> but all, like it's a It's got a feathered, little feathering too on the side. feathered loaf of bread. But not no wave to it. No, perfectly like it is sprayed into place. A roller brush was used in so, the making of this like mullet. blow it out. I um, it is a blown out mullet. I do want to give Alex Whitaker the Buddy Repperton Hair of Horror Hall of Fame award because no, he may have <laughs> he may have slid into the top I, slot. I, man, Buddy Repperton's hair from Christine is pretty amazing pretty right but like if we're doing like a rock and roll hall of fame where like nobody really ranks above anybody else alex whitaker gets the buddy repperton hair of horror award okay well that's my new favorite award and that is now a thing that we do welcome all right well thanks (laughs) (laughs) she so megan points out his creepy staring with an uneasy chuckle and he says that he's sorry it's just that Neil was so obsessed with his work, it's hard to believe that he's taken out time to get married. So everybody kind of seems shocked that she exists at all. Yeah, well, as his wife. Yeah, they're yeah. like, um, do you know this guy? Like, what yeah. the hell? Nobody knew about her. 
Okay, so in the next scene, Teresa turns down the bed in Dana's room and explains that the hotel used to be much busier. The Queen of England once stayed here, she says, took care of her myself. I'm like, okay, very like popular, famous. Got it. Dana, white lady, I mean, white witch smoke cleanses her room. Oh, boy. Teresa asks what she's burning, and she says, hickory and dragon's blood. She uses a feather in her hand to wave the smoke at Teresa, who gags on the smoke and asks what she's doing. And she says, I'm cleaning your etheric body. It's for protection. Don't go near the fireplace. Teresa backs out of the way from Dana's witch wafting. I mean, uh, I'm of the mind that you don't smoke cleanse anyone without their say so. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not going to like walk into a room and be like, your etheric body is filthy. And then just start like blowing smoke in your face or their property. No, I know it's it's a lot like if you want to smoke cleanse your room I mean there's usually no smoking clauses in a hotel thing but whatever but like don't do it directly into a person's face it's fucking rude your aura is disgusting this white, this white witch is really problematic <laughs> you know and we could go down a rabbit hole on all the problematic things let's don't but let's just say that, like, we are this open-minded is a, people. This is this is not an open-minded woman. <laughs> this is so stereotypical, yeah, of the way that certain things, like, of the way that like magic or psychic or whatever is portrayed in movies. Don't look at Dana as an example. Like, just don't. That's all I'll say. I'm done talking about it. But like, this, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Teresa being obviously uncomfortable with having smoke wafted directly into her face and mm-hmm. nostrils uh, says, I have to go a lot. Of, I have a lot of work to do. Teresa sighs and thinks aloud. This isn't going to be easy. I have no idea what the hell she's talking about. Dana then pulls a stuffed Pekingese from her suitcase <laughs> and talks to him sweetly and pulls dog food out of her bag and sings, got you a mighty dog. And, um, so she's nuts or she's me in five years. <laughs> the dog's name is Leroy. Yeah. His name is Leroy. Um, Stuffed Pekingese. As stuffed dogs go, it's cute. Can I say Oh, that? it's cute. I it's mean, Pekingese do have cute faces. Yeah. It's a well done taxidermy job. I mean, I, yeah. I think. I don't think it's real. Is it real? Oh, no, honey. That was probably real. real? I didn't look, and now I'm afraid to. <laughs> so let's just say it's probably fake. It's faux. It is. It looks good though. Like it looks like a what? It looks like what once was a real dog. I'm gonna say just so I can keep loving this animal that it's not real. Okay, that sounds great. That it's made that way. Oh my god. So Teresa watches this craziness through a keyhole, and then like fall runs away when Dana looks in her direction. She follows out to the hall and looks bemused in Teresa's direction. And at first I got the impression that the dog food show was for her, but I don't think so. That's just no, Dana because she just... carries this dog around the hotel later. Like, yeah, because she was, it was, wasn't it packed in a bag? Like it was in a suitcase or whatever? Like, yeah, no, this, this is her traveling companion. Yeah, this, this, this is stuffed dead Pekingese is her buddy Leroy. Yeah. Alex studies a photograph of the Bodega Bay dining room and sleeps standing up. He starts to see the same dream. Mr. and Mrs. Gallagher, maybe, dance around in a circle in the same dining room. I think. I watched this on streaming, and I really can't see shit. Like, I cannot tell who these two people are. No, that's Neil and Megan. I know. Yes, we do know that later. 
clearly, but I, I here think, it was not clear to me. Okay, I think you can tell, um, but I mean, they don't say it, mm-hmm. but it... Alex hears Neil's voice again saying that you can't save her, Alex. In the next scene, Teresa, Frank, and Carissa ride the elevator up to their rooms. Carissa starts to panic as she sees a vision of a sexual assault in the same elevator. She says that it's Gallagher assaulting the woman in the elevator and it's not his wife. Teresa begs them not to tell Mrs. Gallagher because she's upset enough as it is really like that's your takeaway. It's not what the fuck are you talking about? Please stop assaulting my elevator. Right? <laughs> Do you need medical assistance? Don't tell Teresa. She's upset enough as it is. Uh, yeah, it's a little much. And like maybe it's because I'm not a horned up 20 something anymore. But if I'm a sexual seer, which we guess, you know, we gather that Carissa is. Yeah. The last place I'm going to go is a fucking hotel. Oh, my God. Because so, it is a fucking hotel. It is a fucking hotel. <laughs> like, the hotel is for fucking. It's, I'm like, I don't want to see any of that. I don't yeah. want to touch anything. Yeah. So, oh, my God. No, your senses would just be assaulted by all these memories of people banging right everywhere yeah and i no thank you no thank you and honestly i can't remember seeing this woman again that's supposed no it never supposed to have been assaulted in this elevator so unnecessary assault i mean i guess i guess they're just trying to establish the kind of guy that gallagher was or trying to establish the type of psychic that carissa is but that is made clear so many times later like you don't (laughs) very very vividly and descriptively later carissa rides around on a bed it's not important to the plot she's a sex psychic and it's what it sounds like (laughs) yeah Frank says that they need to use their talents for business, and I'm assuming he means writhing <laughs> the sex psychicking. Like, I don't know. It, I, it was the 80s, man. The I don't know what psychic. else to say. Ay, ay, ay. So we next see a close-up shot of Neil Gallagher's open coffin. Pointy thumb dude. I mean, pinhead. But I mean, there was one pinhead, and it is, it is Hellra- from Hellraiser, but... Although, actually, in Hellraiser, his name's not actually Pinhead. It's the Hell Priest. I know. But, yes. So, the puppet in this movie with the tiny head, they refer to as Pinhead. Pinhead. I, when I was writing about him, called him Thumbhead. Because thumb he so looks like a tiny thumbhead. So, if you hear me thumb say Thumbhead, yeah. I'm, this is They're interchangeable, I'm and we'll, talk, we'll call him Pointy Thumb Dude or Thumbhead. Yeah. But it's Pinhead. Operated by Cindy Sorensen and pulls up from beside Gallagher's body and jumps out of the casket. Please talk about the puppets. Okay, so the, for the, I'll talk about this puppet because this is where we yeah. see him for the very first time. Um, a lot of puppetry was done, or a lot of shots were done with stop motion. Honestly, this is some pretty... You can tell it's stop motion, but it's not like jolty and janky like a lot of stop motion is. It was very smooth yeah. and very well done. I was yeah. kind of surprised because... I mean, we've seen what the movie's been like up to this point. Yeah. I'm like, nah, man, I'm expecting some dumb, like, Godzilla movie level. No. The The stop motion is great. Yeah, some love went into these puppet sequences. For they sure. absolutely did. The puppeteering was done or was organized by a guy named uh, David Allen. David yeah. Allen has David his Alice. own um shop and you know Hollywood. Yeah, he's kind of a legend. He of puppet, is kind of, of a legend. He won an Oscar for... um 
for some of his work on the intro to a Sherlock Holmes movie back in the 70s or maybe 80s. Um, he worked on Ghostbusters 2. He like he has quite a few yeah. notches in his belt. Um, and what they did with the puppets in this movie was great. For Thumbhead here, for Pinhead, um, there was a stunt person operating the arms. Cindy, of, yeah, Cindy Sorensen. Her name's Cindy Sorensen. Yeah. She is a little person. And I guess we could say that the pinhead puppet is what, maybe two feet yeah. tall, roughly? Yeah. Um, so what they did is they sculpted the face and the body, and Cindy would insert her arms into sleeves of like to make it look like the puppet's arms. I was just gonna say, I was like, it looks like it's probably like a my buddy doll with a thumb head. Like Oh, right. My buddy, Size wise, you mean? My buddy or kid sister, like from that time frame. Maybe. Maybe. Um so what she would do is she would put her arms into the sleeves of the shirt that the puppet was wearing and put her head down so that you couldn't see her head. Now, she even said in the making of featurette that it was difficult for her because yeah. she couldn't look up to see what, what she, she was, was doing, doing. Or, or, you know, where her hands were going because yeah. she had to be out of sight. Um, but the way that they did this puppet was very cool. The facial sculpt on the puppets are great. Mm -hmm. They have a lot of personality and a lot of character. There's a couple that we'll see later that I really just love their faces. And I love... The, I love the structure of this puppet because I love that the, there are human hands. It's just, there's something so off-putting about... It's off-putting, but, like, it's it's really fucking cool. It's it is. just All cool. of the puppets are very cool. And given what I thought this movie was going to be going into it, I kind of was surprised at the level of craftsmanship that went into, into the, the puppetry puppets. of the movie. And I really feel like... That's probably why this movie has become a cult classic. I agree. It's not for the plot. It's, it's for the puppets. I agree. Yeah. yeah. So we next see Megan walk into the same dining room from Alex's dream as everyone sits around a table for dinner. Megan says hello to the group and checks to see that everyone has gotten in all right. Frank comments that the hotel seems to have quite a history. And Megan says that, yes, it does. It has been in her family since the turn of the century. And her parents operated it until they died a few years ago. Dana says that the rest of the group are just so curious about her and dear Gallagher. Megan says that she met Neil when he was working on a project. They became friends. And when her parents died, Gallagher helped her through some tough times. Dana comments that that does not seem like Neil. Alex mullet disapproves in Dana's direction. <laughs> it fluffs when it's angry. <laughs> Megan ignores Dana and continues she was pretty surprised when Gallagher asked to marry her. She says that she liked him a lot and that he loved, said he loved her and offered to help her run, a, run the hotel. Dana says, now that sounds more like Gallagher. He wanted something. Her asshole southern charm is just baked right in. Bless oh, her yeah. bless her heart. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Megan continues, still not opting for the stab the bitch in the hand with the fork response because she's <laughs> a high road chick, I guess. Megan says that she got married two years ago next Friday, but she said Gallagher has so many ideas, had so many ideas for the hotel. Then he just decided to renovate everything. So they closed it down. That's not suspect at all. No, let's just tear open a bunch of walls and I don't know, look for false panels or something. Yeah. Alex asked about Neil's work, but Megan confesses he didn't tell her much about it, but she knew it was very important to him for some crazy reason. Neil was more interested in supervising the renovations for the first year of their marriage. 
they really tore it up, Megan says. She's unaffected saying this. Like, she's not like, and I spit in his face or I, no, you know, no, whatever. No, she's, she's just like, I don't know, it's so weird. Yeah. She says, then suddenly one day Gallagher just stops everything and shuts himself away with his work the whole next year. This sounds like the sexiest first two years of marriage ever. <laughs> right. Great honeymoon period. Like, right. Far be it for me to tell anyone how to love, but yeah, I'm with Dana. This is this is suspect as shit. Yeah, for sure. Dana's Dana mirrors my sentiment by saying she would have kicked that bastard out on his ass. Alex says Dana using disappointing mo- <laughs> mullet dad tone. <laughs> Megan looks at Dana directly and says that if she has something to say, she wishes Dana would say it to her. Alex tries to intervene that Dana just likes to stir things up and to ignore her, but Dana does not miss an opportunity now that poor Megan has invited her to speak. Dana asks Megan the burning question inside of her that she wants to know if it's possible Neil married her for her money. Frank says Dana has a few drinks and becomes quite the tight ass, but Dana disputes this and says she preferred to consider herself a nasty bitch. This is my favorite of Dana's lines. I know, I'm beginning to like her. I prefer to think myself as a nasty bitch. I was like, ooh. Mullet Mullet Dad says that that's enough, Dana. That's right. You tell him, you beautiful feathered ape drape quaff daddy. <laughs> Dana retorts with, fuck you, Ivy League dinas. Okay, I like Dana. <laughs> we hate love her. She sucks and I want to travel the world with her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She says, why continue the pitiful charade? Gallagher sucked and fucked them over. A despicable, greedy bastard, Dana calls him. She says Gallagher screwed them, and they mean to even the score. Megan storms out at this into the night, and Alex follows behind and offers. I'm sorry, she usually isn't like this. Seems like she's and like she's this. like she's absolutely always yeah. like this. Megan cuffs and says that she just is so confused and demands to know who they all are. Alex says some call us magicians. And Neil says that they all have unique psychic powers and then hits us with solid exposition over calliope music and slow motion footage of everyone eating and echo laughing. Oh, God. Frank slow motion eats shrimp. Oh, it's (laughs) nasty. I'm still not okay from the bay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Alex continues that during a study project, they all met each other. Frank and Neil found evidence that Egyptians unlocked the secret of giving life to figurines. We next see Teresa making a fire. She builds the firewood and huffs that she needs the day off. Suddenly, Teresa hears the piano and stops her task and goes to investigate. When she makes it to the front of the piano, she sees no one sitting there, and we see Pinhead select the iron fire poker lying in front of the fireplace. Teresa is suddenly hit over the head with a fire poker and blood splatters on the firewood and dead. Okay, so first of all, R.I.P. Teresa, because she was precious. I know. And a busybody and annoyed and grumpy and probably an introvert. And she, I'm sad that she's gone. Yeah. But two things here. First of all, the, the little thwack that she gets with the fire poker barely makes a sound, but that is a hell of a blood spray. It's like, <laughs> but there's like no noise. It's like, tunk. <laughs> and I'm just like, Jesus Christ, man. Like, I know, it's really funny. But here's a question I pose to you. Yes. So Teresa comes in to tend to the fireplace, which Dana earlier told her 
to stay away from the fireplace. She definitely did say that. So if a psychic tells you out of nowhere to stay away from a certain thing, right? That your life depends on you staying, oh, please stay away from the whatever. Yeah. How long do you stay away from it before you're like, you know what? It's probably not a big deal. Well, I'm not superstitious, but I am a little little superstitious. (laughs) Shut the fuck up. (laughs) I am a little stitious. I'm a little stitious too. Very stitious. I'm hyperstitious, if that's possible. So my question stands, how long do you stay away from the thing they say don't probably go near? Probably a solid week, and then I'm going to be a little ooh around it all so, the time. Like, I'll probably, like, light a match, flick it in, like, from a distance. From right, a safe but you're distance. not going to go hang out there, like, the same afternoon, maybe 30 minutes later. No, I just, I was like, I mean, I'm I am the skeptic of all skeptics in terms of, like, visions and paranormal this and ghosts and all that crap but i'm like you know safe than sorry i'm probably gonna be at least a week or two before i feel even remotely kind of okay to like dip a toe in the water being close to whatever they warned me off i mean i still to this day have not touched a ouija board not because i believe in it but why take the chance yeah you get mad at me if i bless you before a sneeze because you usually take my fucking sneeze away. You go, oh, bless you. And I'm like, well, now I can't sneeze. It's just rude. And I and I thank you kindly to stop it. <laughs> okay, skeptic. <laughs> so you next hear a blood-curdling scream. Megan faints and the psychics discover Mr. Mr. Body's body is gone. <laughs> no, I mean, Noah's body is just sitting in the chair in the parlor and his eyes are wide open. And he really doesn't look all that dead. He doesn't look all that dead. He's like super tan. Like he's very. I mean, you know, I'm going to spray paint probably. <laughs> no, Dana, that, that stuff becomes her. Right. <laughs> Dana insists that he's definitely dead. She made sure of it. They put the body back in the coffin and Frank says starting tomorrow, they will be tearing that place apart. Frank thinks that Andre Toulon's secret must be right at that hotel. Dana says it doesn't make any sense. If he found the secret, then he then why would Neil kill himself? And Carissa says, yeah, and who's fooling around with the body? Mm-hmm. Frank states that he's never he never trusted that son of a bitch. And Dana says maybe Megan is up to something. I seriously doubt that Megan's up to something. She is about as exciting as a plane of unbuttered toast. So <laughs> I really don't think she's up to anything. Yeah. Later, Megan wakes up on the couch where she fainted to see Alex sitting next to her. She glances to where Neil's body had been sitting and asks, that wasn't a dream, was it? And who would do that? Alex tells her that they suspect it was Teresa and they can't find her anywhere. Megan goes to get up, but Alex insists that she rest. Megan asks what Alex is even doing there and Alex insists that he had to come. He had a dream that led him there. He came to make sure it didn't come true. That's cryptic as shit, but sure. We aren't given time to ponder Alex's cryptic dream because Carissa is having a psychic moment in the bathtub. Ugh, Frank's. Thought, so is that what we're calling it now? Psychic moment? It's a psychic moment. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, Frank says that as long as she's in there, she should think about Neil. And she calls him an asshole or what, son of a bitch or something. I, yeah, their whole dynamic is just. Blech. It's pretty gross. Megan stands next to Neil's casket. She tenderly kisses her hand and then places the kiss on Neil's lips and says, sweet dreams. But from our point of view, we see the silhouette of Jester behind the curtain in the large parlor. Jester appears from 
view as soon as Megan turns around to see what see if there was something there because she mm-hmm. hears a noise. Yeah. Carissa, still in the bathtub, asks what Frank is doing. He says he's getting ready for tonight's experiment, quote unquote. And then she says, suppose you found it, Frank. Toulon's power, what would you do with it? Frank says, that's easy. I'd take over the world. Carissa asks if Frank thinks Mrs. Gallagher is pretty. But when he doesn't answer, she gets out of the tub and begins to look for him. To creepy swelling music, what is funny to you? (laughs) Rather than answer her question, like, she's like, do you think she's pretty? And he doesn't answer it. And so he just, like, nopes the fuck out. And then it completely changes the subject because the next scene we see him, he's pulled pantyhose over his head. So it's like a kid trying to not get caught in a lie. So they just completely change the subject. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, I don't get it. Like, apparently, preparing for their exp- experiment includes, uh, like, a robbery fantasy or something. Like, and then I don't. They, they, like, start making out with the pantyhose on his head. Like, I'm not here to kink shame. I'm Everybody not, has their journey, and I'm not here to, you know, I'm whatever, not here whatever. to kink shame. I just don't really want to look at it. Yeah. <laughs> Next scene, moving on. In the hall, Alex encounters Dana doing some kind of spell using a white candle and a piece of flash paper tacked to Alex's door. He asks what she's doing, and she says, we're all in danger. He means to kill us all, Gallagher. And she says, honey, even the dead have their ways. She ignites the flash paper, which flashes out of existence, and says protection as she smears blood from a chicken's paw into Alex's open palm. In the next scene, Frank reports his plans for that night's experiment like he's goddamn Shatner. It's very (laughs) Captain's Log. (laughs) It really is. Him and his lady do what sex psychics do, and she ties him to the bed and blindfolds him, which is only being mentioned here because it's important to the plot. Correct. Um, (laughs) Also, she takes her robe tie to tie him up, but she's only got one robe tie, so therefore she ties one hand, but somehow later both hands are tied up with identical pieces of robe tie. So So that happened. And also, I think her robe is still tied. Back in the hall, Mullet Daddy still wanders. He receives a red goddess candle and a spell from the White Witch, which he sarcastically refers to as a little insurance policy. (laughs) Inside his room, he lights the candle, but begins to hear rustles and footsteps around the room. I think Blade might be watching. Yeah. Next, we see Dana talking to Leroy, the stuffed Bikinese, as she reads tarot cards. She hears Carissa and Frank psychicking through the wall and says, this is going to be a long, lonely night, sugar. Psychicking through the wall. Yeah, it's like my new. Experimenting. Loudly. Loudly, loudly psychicking. Um, (laughs) Back in the hall. It's their process. (laughs) It's how they reach their spirit guide or whatever. It's fine. Um, Back in the hall, Blade listens right outside the psychic store. He uses his whittle hook hand. To adorably drag a chair. That was so cute. He's like his little hook again, and he's he, like, like it's, like, it's really cute. They, I know these puppets are death puppets, but oops. they're really cute. I know. I think you're supposed to be scared of them. Like there's maybe, but I find them endearing as hell. I, I love mean, all of them. They're kind of cute. Yeah. yeah. So he uses his little hand to to drag the chair and looks in on Dana. But is pulled away by the raptured sounds of hardcore psychicking. <laughs> um, Blade drags his chair over and looks through the keyhole. And then Tunneler, a puppet with a drill point for the top of his head, uh, shoves over and he looks through the peephole. 
I love his face too. Yeah. It looks like all like meaty drill sergeant face, like yeah. from like a 1950s cartoon or something. Yeah, it's all, yeah but yeah. he's cute. Mm-hmm. So Carissa only stops once. She glances at the open door and says she thinks someone's in the room and then drops to the floor. Frank lies helplessly on the bed and begs for Carissa not to do this to him. He's also suddenly blindfolded. Like No, he, he's blindfolded in this scene. Yeah. 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 As Carissa looks under the bed to see if anyone is there, Tunneler runs at her face at full sprint, and then we see kicking feet, but we don't really know what happened to Carissa. Yeah, we hear her scream. Um, and I, she, then she stops kicking. Yeah, and then no more Carissa noise. Yeah. Um, Frank confused, blindfolded, and still horn enthusiastic to get back to the psychic channel, <laughs> channeling, asks Carissa where she is and what's happened. Suddenly, a small raven-haired puppet wearing a satin dress leans over Frank's nipple and does a little open-mouth puppet play on him. I think it's like... And she's making, like, little moany noises, like... Uh-huh. It's very... Yeah. Thinking it's Carissa, Frank calls her a minx and seems to be enjoying the attention on his boob hats. <laughs> Suddenly, the puppet puppet's mouth stretches wide open, and she regurgitates a leech right onto Frank's areola. When he starts to feel pain from the blood sucking, he jumps and knocks his blindfold askew to see the leech woman gagging leech after leech onto his body. This is so gross. She does it very lovingly, though. I don't think she's trying to be mean. I mean, maybe, maybe she, maybe he looked like he needed a little like bloodletting or leech purifying. Like, I mean, <laughs> so I want to talk really quick about the leech puppet. I don't know what they call her. I'm just going to call her the leech woman. I don't really know what else to call her. So the way they designed it, you can tell when you look at the puppet's face that it's very flexible. So it's like made out of like a foam rubber or whatever. Mm-hmm. The leeches were kind of attached. So they were kind of like folded in to the puppet's mouth. They're not real leeches, are they? No, 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 no. Oh, no. Okay. And what I they did. I think they were, but I was like. No, no. Like. But what they did is they designed it so that the leech could be pushed about three quarters of the way out. That's as far out as it was. It would come because it was attached to the, the foam rubber of the puppet's mouth. Oh, they would shift okay. the camera angle and show the leech fully on like a surface like a body like Frank's chest or whatever but in reality that leech did not come out of that puppet's mouth it was just like with through camera angles it looked like she was fully spitting them out onto his chest oh all right it was really cool that is very yeah they talked about it in the uh, little making of it's it's called um pulling strings or something no strings no strings attached yeah there we go um, Alex on the other side of the wall turns into Nick Nolte. Like he's all like, give it a rest. Oh, right. I gotta wear it off. Oh, he's trying <laughs> to sleep and he's just hearing. Well, now he's hearing Frank screaming, which, but he thinks it's like throws of passion. Right. He's like, ah, I'm sorry, ah. throws of psychic screaming. <laughs> and uh, he's like, shut the fuck up. Like, but that's not what's he's happening. He's all cranky and grumpy and his mullet's all fluffy. <laughs> Dana drunkily walks through the halls talking to Leroy. Damn, maybe she is me except <laughs> trade the booze for thc like well just, and, a, and a dead dog for a live one yeah same or both i don't know <laughs> uh, she tells leroy she's really happy he decided to come with her on the trip as she's laughing and talking to leroy she runs into wandering mullet dad again and she offers to have him in for a nightcap he declines and says and she says well i tried well, yeah, lady, you're also pretty hot and cold. Wasn't it you that called him an Ivy League tight ass earlier? Like, wasn't... I mean, you need your itch scratched. You don't really ask questions, but... I suppose. 
It's um, not for love. It's for... <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's for psychicking. It's not for love. It's for psychicking. Dana walks back into her room with Leroy and puts him down in the dresser, reminding him to be a good boy. She turns around to see Neil Gallagher sitting in her chair, eyes open in the center of her room. She does a cleansing, I'm assuming, and shakes shells and stuff at Neil and then tells Leroy that Neil won't be bothering her anymore. But as she walks to her bed, we see Pinhead's hands grab her from the back of the legs and pull them out from under her. And she face plants right into the bed hard. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> um, she tries to kick and struggle, but Pinhead breaks her something, ankle or something. Yeah, she like, can't walk. Um, that much is clear. And her pain, and in her pain, she throws herself onto the floor. Pinhead comes out from under the bed and begins to strangle her. She struggles for a while, but then she one arm flings him across the room, past the potted plant, into the wall. It's as funny as it sounds. It, and it is the first of many. It's so hilarious watching freaking Thumbhead Pinhead just fly all over the scenery. Because, yeah, he gets yeeted a few times. <laughs> Um, next she butt scoots on the floor to try to get away and we start to see who may have been her psychic vision herself like so that vision mm -hmm. that she had from earlier was actually of her mm -hmm. because now it's really clear yeah I might have put the, the dog down and carried a bat or a table leg around or something but that's just me don't beat people with your stuffed dead dog I just know. don't it's disrespectful Anyway, Pinhead sits up and shakes off his tiny concussion and heads towards Dana, who is panting and whimpering and butt scooting and not doing well. She finally makes her way down the hall, but catches two swift face punches from the burly puppet fist. These fucking punches are she, so funny. I know. Because they're so... Just watch well, the movie. So, yeah, they're so perfectly placed because they have to be. Because right. the actress was like... I couldn't see. I had to land them like perfectly against her yes. face. Yes, and so and they were they were touches. I mean, they, like, were, they were not even hits. It was like somebody come came up to you and just like put their fist against your face gently and lovingly. Really, Iron so. Miracle probably should have sold the face throw a little bit more. I mean, like, I don't really uh, put it. I don't really put uh, it on the puppeteer. No, <laughs> I don't either. It's just it's very comical to watch. Yes. She grabs him again and one arm flings him over the side of the stairwell railing. <laughs> and down the stair hole. Down the stair hole. And Blade sees his buddy get body slammed for the second time. And I think he's pissed. Dana backs her way into the open elevator just before Blade gets to her and begins to catch her breath as she rides to another floor. When the elevator stops, however, Pinhead is waiting right there. Bruzy fist punches or rather places his fist next to Dana's face <laughs> for punch 30. He gets a few clobbers in before she goes, oh, right, and remembers that she has arms and throws him into the wall again. <laughs> He's a two-foot puppet, ma'am. You can toss him. No, and You've it's like, done she it does twice. Even, she does not even try to flail or fight. She's just like, uh, uh, oh, I'm, right. I'm just going to sit here and take it. Wait, I don't have to. <laughs> Blade oh, does not like this, and he descends on Dana from the roof access of the elevator and slices her throat. 
We're left with a really artful scene of her sitting dead, throat slashed in the open elevator. Mm-hmm. Though there are some beautiful camera shots in it's this movie. It's weird. It's you. There are little tiny gems here and there in yeah. this movie like that. And I remember too in the very opening scene after Toulon blows his head off. There's a moment where like the assassins come running in almost slow motion, and they're standing in these like sort of action poses. Yes, with, with their, their guns pose, drawn. With their guns drawn. It's a cool shot. It's a beautiful. <laughs> shot it it's really, really well done and so that interspersed with like weird punch punch 30 face and like there's <laughs> yeah. just a lot going on you're not really sure wait is it a joke is it real is it a joke yeah it's great yes and now we know why dana was grabbing her throat at the carnival after her vision when right. she screams and holds her throat and says gallagher yes now we know where that came from in the next scene alex is awakened by a knock on the door it's megan he gets dressed quickly and greets her But she says she wants Alex to come with her. She has something to show him. He says to just let him put on his shoes, and she tells him to hurry. As they walk up the steps of the hotel, Megan tells Alex that she couldn't sleep. Something about Neil's death kept bothering her, and it never occurred to her that the old puppet master Toulon's death and her husband's death were connected. Is this... Earlier in the movie, did we know that she knew about the puppet master? Like, did they ever bring it up around her? Nope. I didn't. Okay. So it wasn't just me who was like, whoa, 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 whoa. How the fuck do you know about the puppet master? Nope. Okay, great. Yeah. Thought I missed something. You didn't. Megan says after dinner, it began to make sense. Megan says she found something, but she leads Alex back to that dining hall or ballroom we keep seeing from Alex's dream. Alex looks at Megan perplexed. But she just says, I told you I wanted to show you something. And we watch Megan dance with a man in a mask who's obviously Neil. Alex watches, but it kind of but kind of stares forward as he walks around the dancing couple. His mullet has extra dream state bounce in the scene. And the room definitely smells like Aquanet. Tell me it does not. <laughs> I'm sure you're right. And like Jean Nate or uh, Baby, oh, yeah. Baby Soft. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it does. The dance lasts a few seconds too long. And then Neil pulls his mask off and says, you can't save her, Alex, and points the gun to Megan's head. Alex wakes up and pulls back the sheets and sees the heads of Carissa, Frank, and Dana at the foot of his bed. (laughs) Frank says, what's happening, Alex? And Alex wakes up again with a yell for the second time. Ah, the old double dream got him again. I know. And it's a double double dream decapitated head. Talking talking decapitated decapitated head. It was great. I loved it. Throwback of It Part 2. Or It. The miniseries? Yeah, the It miniseries, because... Oh, Stan's head in the fridge. That's yeah. right. Oh, yeah, I forgot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the old double dream. I think that he would probably expect that by now, but he seems shocked every single time he wakes up from a double dream. I, I don't know. I don't um, know. <laughs> Megan really, Megan really does come to his dream this time, though. Oh, she to his door. <laughs> no, she does, and she tells Alex that she needs him to come with her. That she wants to show him something, just like in his dream. But this time, Megan leads Alex up to an attic or an abandoned room. She says Neil used to spend hours up there, that she never knew what he was doing, but he never let her come up. This is where she finds Toulon's old journal and reads a passage to Alex. Today I gave them life, using the ancient Egyptian rites of afterlife. Toulon says he loves all of his puppets, and with him they are harmless, but he fears what would happen if the power were to fall into the wrong hands. Neil sends brainy psychic images and Alex, who looks like he's holding in a dad sneeze, <laughs> sees the hall again. 
Neil holds a gun and places the barrel to his own mouth playfully before pointing the gun at the screen and says, goodbye, Alex. Alex runs with Megan the hell out of there and they run quickly down the stairs and stop short because the psychic powers appear to give him very painful gases. Like he's just like, (laughs) he takes Megan to the dining room where all of his friends are dead. Megan says they have to get out of there and Neil chimes in with, you're not leaving on my account, are you? Megan says, you're dead. And Neil chuckles and responds with, yes, he is. I put the gun in my mouth and I blew away my vast knowledge. And here I am, dead. He looks at both Alex and Megan smugly and says, ah, she doesn't understand the metaphysics of it. This dude is a chode. <laughs> and then she, He's like, Alex, you care to explain? And Alex's face is like, I got fucking nothing, dude. I you're going to have to... You're gonna have to fess up here because I'm. Yeah, I mean, maybe, I just woke up from like seven drinks. I yeah, I need you to help maybe me out. You should monologue and just give some exposition because nobody knows what's going on yet, dude. <laughs> Somebody has to explain it. I'm not sure the writers did. Yeah, metaphysically speaking, he killed himself and then he used the way of the old puppet master to bring himself back to life. Yep, cool, cool, cool. That explains everything. There's absolutely no holes or follow-up questions whatsoever. No, I'm I'm satisfied. Please, Gallagher, continue. He wanted to live forever. All things end in death, yada, yada. Now he's immortal. Woohoo. He has no <laughs> end. Like, sure. Sure. No. I, at this point, okay, Jan. it's not that deep. He's he, he figured out a way to live forever, and Egyptians had something to do with it. That's really all you need to know. He has no end. Alex says Gallagher has no natural end, but his hair glistens with the rage of a thousand suns <laughs> and mullet dad will live to see Neil destroyed. <laughs> he doesn't say any of that. He just stares at Neil, but his hair says plenty. Neil tells Alex not to even entertain the thought, the strength that would take to destroy his physical body. Why it would almost take three to five tiny sentient puppets with various weapons attached to them to pull something like that off. <laughs> Then Neil gropes Dana's dead body, which isn't important to the plot, but we really had to see it, so you have to hear about it. <laughs> I know. He just, like, gropes her boob. Her dead boob. I'm like, oh. But why? <laughs> Sorry I because yelled, but this, why? Because this movie is about boobs and... I don't know what psychic, this... Psychicking. Well, at least you found a, a plot. I did not. <laughs> Alex asks, why did he kill them? Gallagher says because they all share a brain. They had to, He had to get him out of his head. Then he said he's tired of experimenting with silly puppets and picks up and then throws Jester. Careful with that asshole. He's an antique. Well, yeah. And he's like, what, 90 years old at this point? I don't know. but He's worth something at least. Not to Neil, but let me tell you what. It does not make Blade and the other puppets happy. No, he's mean to the puppets and they don't like it. Gallagher confesses proudly that his first experiment was on Megan's parents. He said that he had no choice but to kill them, but it was a small price to pay to live forever. Megan shouts bastard and then tries to slap Neil, but he swiftly grabs her hand and punches her directly in the face. This movie does not pull its punches, like no pun intended. (laughs) Anyway, Megan gets punched and Alex gets punched and everyone gets punched. It's It's a punch fest. It is a punch fest. Neil upsets the jester who gets all worried face and points his little puppety finger at Neil all creepy. Megan sees the jester pointing at Neil, rearranging Alex's teeth, and she sneaks up behind him and hits him on the head with a glass vase. 
Megan grabs Alex and they try to make a run for it. But as they round the corner, Teresa is standing there holding a fire poker and says, don't touch the body. I'm so glad we got to see her again, even if she is just a reanimated corpse. Yeah, she's a puppet master puppet now because she's not she's not dead, but her hair is all teased out and crazy. I knew this place smelled like Aquanet. I told you (laughs) it did. They back away and Alex turns only to be immediately punched in the face again by Neil. Oh my God, this poor dude. Megan screams for him to stop and she tries to pull Neil away, but he throws her back to the floor and tells Alex it's time to die. He punches Alex a few more times, but Alex kick wrestle flips Neil into the elevator and Pinhead quickly closes the elevator door behind him. Mm -hmm. Pinhead is pretty pissed about what Neil did with his power. Gallagher demands to know what the hell Penhead thinks he's doing, calls him a cretin, and threatens to chop him into firewood if he doesn't open that door. Then he grabs him under his little armpits and throws Penhead <laughs> against the wall again. Oh. For, it is the fourth time for those keeping track at home. I, with as much flying as Pinhead does, he needs a fucking cape because like, he's just always sailing across Wee. the room. Yeah. Neil struggles with the door and growls, and Pinhead grabs Neil by the ankles and pulls him to the floor. Neil puts pulls off Pinhead's well, head <laughs> with a comical pop sound effect and throws him against the wall. <laughs> Number, five. Number five. Neil gets Tunneler's head drill to the ankle and gets thrown against the wall. Pinhead put puts his head back on. Neil jumps up. Yeah, to- here we sorry. Here we see horror movie trope number eight hundred and fifty two, which is decapitated thing looking for its own head, head to put it back on yeah. its neck. Yeah, he's like searching the floor mm-hmm. very comically in stop motion. That's no. It, but easy I, task. but again, the stop motion looked good. It, the stop motion in this movie did, is very it good. Took, it probably took three months just for that sequence alone mm-hmm. for him to just hunt for his own But it head. looks great. It, it was looks worth fantastic. It. Neil jumps to the elevator shaft as the puppets try to descend on him, but Blade is waiting for him there. Blade chops off Neil's finger as he Hans Gruber dangles from the elevator <laughs> shaft. He falls to the floor and the puppets go ham on him. Pinhead holds him down by his face. Blade jumps down and stabs him in the hand that has the fingers. Jiller bores a hole into his throat. And as Neil promises things will be different, Alex begs the puppets to stop. But we finally see my favorite leech lady who vomits a big black leech into his mouth to Megan's horrified screams of Mm -hmm. terror and Neil's screams of agony. Tunneler finally drills all the way through Neil's throat. Pinhead snaps his neck and the leech sticks out of Neil's mouth and green Uzi slime drips from inside his dead maw. It is a thing of beauty. So apparently, and you can also see this when he gets his fingers cut off, the they used green blood, I read this on IMDb, to avoid having to give the movie an X rating. I'm like, you have done like... You've shown, like, not a full rape, but, like, an assault. You've shown, like, all the boobs and sex you possibly could, but red blood is what's going to get you the extra. I guess that was, like, the final straw or whatever. Honestly, I think things are more backwards now because they'll show all the violence, but they're like, don't show tits. Don't. Tits are not allowed. Alex and Megan say they're not at all awkward goodbyes, seeing as they both just witnessed one of the most traumatizing torture scenes inflicting on a corpse by a group of puppets <laughs> I've ever seen. They're like, well, it's just a Saturday. Catch you on the flippity flip. Like, I don't know. Hug, I guess. It's like a very awkward, like, going for the uh, hug. Hug pet. Yeah. She 
hugs the small Pekingese and heads up the steps. And as she rounds the corner, the dog is suddenly alive. Why? She, she says, good dog, Leroy, and roll credits. Holy shit, she's a puppet master. So did... I have every question. <laughs> but they won't get answered, so I'm just not going to ask them. But my, but why? I literally wrote down... I think it means that she knows the ways of the puppet master. I think that's because... she learned them? Did Neil teach her? Did she find them on her own? She why, found, Did she know... I mean, she obviously she knew about Talon. She found Talon's journal, so maybe it was in there. Oh, my goodness. So maybe she At least she master. chose to reanimate Leroy because that is a cute damn dog. I'm so sorry. Know, that del- little Pekingese face is He deserves bridges. to live forever. Yeah. So what did you think of the Puppet Master? Oh my God. What a freaking journey we have been on <laughs> with this movie. I think it was a fun journey. It wa- You know what? It was fun. I... I can't say it's not what I expected or that it is what I expected because I didn't really expect anything. I kind of went into it just going like, all I know is there's puppets and this is a cult classic from like 89. That is literally as much as I went in with. Yeah. It it delivered on those things. Um, obviously plenty to laugh at, but some real, like I said, some real little sparkly gems just kind of hidden among the laughter of like, really excellent puppet design really excellent stop motion animation if you're looking for this for like solid plot you're not gonna find it not in the first movie probably Um, (laughs) we'll need to watch a few more this made me laugh my ass off oh my god i rewatched no this specifically so i rewatched the little no strings attached featurette yesterday yeah right before we you know because i knew we were gonna record today right and they had an interview with paula matt who plays alex who plays mullet daddy yeah um and he said something about the script and how excellent he thought the character development was and i'm just like these are the flattest most one-dimensional human beings <laughs> like like carissa likes to fuck frank likes to fuck alex likes to have a mullet dana is a bitch that's about <laughs> as like much as you get to know about neil wants to control the world like so t- it was a little funny to me that Paula Matt was like, oh no there's excellent character development there's just not perhaps in future <laughs> films there is. I'm judging this strictly Maybe he means off of his character development was great, and he was like, "I'm gonna give myself. I'm gonna like. Pick, I'm gonna imagine myself as Samson with a button-down shirt." <laughs> so that was a lie. Like, is it? No, no. It's very fun. But did I have fun watching this movie? Hell, hell yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. If you want to turn your brain off, if you don't feel like watching a thesis horror or something you have to dissect, if you want to watch something that like almost qualifies for like Mystery Science Theater 3000 status, yeah, it could be riff tracked easy. This is a super fun popcorn yeah. flick. Throw popcorn at the screen type of movie. It's great. Oh, yeah. 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 This one, I feel like this movie almost deserves call lines the way Rocky Horror gets call lines. Like, it's it's fun. Yeah. It's super fun. Before I give my analysis, I want to say that this movie is the perfect example of why I love the horror genre so much. Oh, yes. True art comes here to play. And that sounds tongue in cheek for this movie. But I think that really great art emerges, emerges out of these $5 bargain bin buys. Like... I have found some gems and some bargain men's. I have found yep. some old VHS tapes and I'm like, this has a weird, stupid cover. The description is kind of intriguing. I'll watch it. And it winds up becoming one of my, you know, some of my favorite movies. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, a choice of the producer, by the way. Yeah. Um, that was and that was a really smart marketing decision because yeah. this movie was was very successful, extremely among like I mean you said how many thirteen sequels or and spinoffs and yeah I mean damn and I am ashamed that I've never watched it until now no and I, oh I'm sorry please go ahead no go ahead um I just wanted to call uh, your attention to the fact that for a movie called Puppet Master. The puppets have less than five minutes total screen time the entire yeah. movie. Yeah. Which is a damn shame. It is. That's the only thing that makes me kind of want to watch, watch future others. ones, just mm-hmm. because the puppets are so fun and so well well made and now, put together. I do look I do look at like image I have seen stills from like other movies mm-hmm. and like it it obviously the puppets get revamped over time. Mm-hmm. And, and they, they introduce, introduce other ones. puppets. Yeah. And some of that makes me a little sad because they look a little bit too clean later on, like yeah. a little bit too merchandisey. I love the rawness of these puppets. Oh, definitely. They feel like they were handcrafted by somebody who was a like puppet master. Like yeah. Toulon just sat there and carved them and painted them. Yeah. It was a bit of a camel. That, yes. Like I said, there were four writers on this thing. It did not feel completely cohesive, but maybe it was supposed to feel that way. I don't think it's that deep. Maybe the disjointed editing was supposed to harken back to a fever dream because it definitely felt like one. Yeah. Movies like this are why I wanted to do this podcast. Mm -hmm. No shit. I will watch this again and I will venture into the franchise because I just have to know more about the folklore. Like, I'm not satisfied with what I had. And I'm like, I feel like there's got to be more. Oh, I think there's a lot more. So that said, how many days are you going to be uh, renting this movie for? This is actually a tough one for me, believe it or not. If I'm looking at it as a piece of like cinema or film or whatever the shit, then no, I don't. No, no. right. Then I'm not going to give a a very high rating. If I'm looking at it from like how much fun did I have with it, the rating's very different. Yeah. So on a scale of one to 10 days, how many days am I renting this for? Mm. I think I'm going to rent this for six. Okay. It's not, it's certainly not my favorite. No, I get it. It is certainly hilarious. Yeah. It doesn't give me, it gives me horror comedy vibes. It doesn't give me horror vibes. For sure. You know, and I think the comedy. In the same way that Evil Dead does, I think. Yeah, I think the comedy may have been largely unintentional. Oh, yeah. Um, But that doesn't matter. Like, um, (laughs) it was, I can absolutely see why this became a cult classic. 100%. I'm like, nope, I see why this developed a big-ass following. Um, So, yeah, six days. I will watch it again, but it's not going to be probably in my regular rotation. But, yeah, no, this was was a good time, and I'm glad you picked this one to to cover. Me too. Um, me personally, I'm going to, I'm going to give it a seven out of 10, a little higher. Okay. Um, it is one that I would rent multiple times to show my friends and yeah. like be like, dude, come hang out with me. Let's laugh at Puppet Master right. because it is a really, it would be a really fun party movie. Yeah. Let's get a little high and eat some fucking pizza and just like turn on Puppet Master. And laugh at Puppet Master. And yeah. I stand by it. I would happily see this movie in rotation alongside with the most, more popular classics that mm-hmm. have like made it into high rotation. Yeah. Um, for its own reasons. I feel like this movie does deserve a place in the classics. It's camp, but it takes itself more seriously than a typical late 80s, early 90s camp horror. 
So I yeah. can't really I can't really tuck it into that category. Yeah. The only reason I'm not rating it higher is because I really feel like there is a lot of missing folklore that was merely glazed over. Yeah. And granted, I have no other installments of the franchise to compare it to. And it was a short movie. They had room to put it there if yeah. they wanted to, but they just didn't. They elected not to. But to me, the Puppet Master is something special. And I expect my own leech dispensing doll for Solstice this year. <laughs> or I feel like you don't support me. All right, all right, I'll add it to the list. That wraps it up for this episode, listeners and lurkers. Thanks for joining us here on The Last Isle. What did you think of this week's episode? Let us know on our social media channels, at Last Isle on Facebook and Twitter, and at Last Isle Pod on Instagram. We look forward to hearing from you. We'll be back next week with a new episode. So sit back, cuddle up with your reanimated Pekingese, and grab a copy of Mullet Daddy Aficionado Monthly and come peruse this selection of movies in the last aisle. See you soon. Bye.